Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. And I want to just uh, repeat what Caleb said just a moment ago about our July 4th service, that it'll be outdoors at 9 a.m., weather permitting, weather's a factor, be in this room at 9 a.m. So uh, just mark that next Sunday, July 4th, one service, and it will be at 9 a.m., hopefully outdoors. Uh, bring a chair, bring your Bibles, and bring somebody with you. Probably leave the fireworks at home next Sunday. Save them for that. I'm sorry. I let Rob down. Sorry. But, uh, anyway, well, um, this, uh, this Tuesday I'll be 55. And um, I, I get to go to Walmart, maybe get a discount. Um, uh, I have to talk to Vic and find out where all the discounts are. <laughs> And, uh, Wednesday, Carla and I celebrate 31 years of marriage. I'm excited about that. And, um, big, big week for us. It was a big birthday present for me 31 years ago to celebrate my birthday and get married the next day. And uh, sure helps you remember it. <laughs> helps you remember. <laughs> helps you remember anniversary. I pick on guys that can't remember, and it's like. Kind of got some help there, but um, this coming week also I will uh, begin sabbatical leave. Uh, every five years, our church is gracious to give our pastors uh, four weeks of sabbatical leave. This will be my fourth sabbatical. Um, this past August, we marked 20, uh, 20 years here as pastor, and usually the summer following winds up being the best time to take that sabbatical leave and so this coming week on Tuesday I begin sabbatical leave. There have been times when I thought that I did not need to do that but uh, just realizing that it's, it is the right thing, it's what the church has provided and my soul needs it and I look back over the last year and a half of leading through uh, a season of COVID in our church family, the death of Carla's dad in November, the death of my dad in May, a uh, son that got married last September and a daughter that's getting married this September. Uh, I think I'll rest a little bit. And um, I'm going to take a week and stare at the waves, take a few days to stare at the mountains, uh, be in and out, spend some time with my mom time with our family, read some, pray a lot, listen a lot to the Lord, I hope, and I would ask for your prayers uh, while we take this sabbatical leave. Um, Lord willing, August 1st will be the next Sunday that I preach here, and I believe I have the freedom to do this in that um, on the last Sunday of July, we will not be in Psalms, and I'm going to looked at that schedule and when I'm back August 1st I want to preach Psalm 85 uh, when I return. Psalm 85 is a call to revival and over the next four weeks I'm praying that the Lord would revive my soul and that he would revive our church 
and that we would see God do things that we could never imagine or hope or think to ask, but that he would just be free to work among us. How we need a move of God, a fresh move of God. And I just would ask you to pray over these next few weeks as we come together again. I mean, you're still coming together, but August 1st, when I stand before you and we look at Psalm 85, that the Lord would be working in revival of our souls and our church and our land. I want to invite you to open your Bibles today to um, Psalm 81 here, and I want to share this message that simply called when worship is wasted. When worship is wasted. How tragic it would be for us to spend years and years and years of trying to worship the Lord and find out that our worship had been a waste. What would it look like for our worship of God to be wasted? We maybe have some idea of what it looks like to waste a day or to waste an hour or to waste an opportunity. What does it look like for us to worship, for us to waste our worship. A.W. Tozier is a pastor of another uh, century that God's using to speak to my heart in devotional writings. And I want to share these words that he wrote. I read this on June 22nd. There is probably not another field of human activity where there is so much waste as in the field of religion. In the average church, we hear the same prayers repeated each Sunday year in and year out, and one would suspect not the remotest expectation that they will be answered. It is enough, it seems, that they've been uttered. The familiar phrase, the religious tone, the emotionally loaded words have their superficial and temporary effect, but the worshiper is no nearer to God, no better morally, and no surer of heaven than he was before. Yet every Sunday for 20 years, he goes through the same routine and allowing two hours for him to leave his house, sit through a church service and return to his house again. He has wasted more than 170 12-hour days with this exercise in futility. This morning as we look at this, these verses, I want to ask that you would pray with me now that God would begin to use our worship in in powerful ways so that having come together in corporate worship we would have greater assurance of our faith that we would have a growing love for the Lord the growing love of the Lord Jesus Christ I want us to get this right, and that's going to distract us until we do. But are we, are we good right here? Let's talk right there. Hold it up. All right. Is it made for TV? Anyway. Hold it on the mic high. I know. We're good. All right. Can we just tape it to the side of my face? <laughs> Four ways we waste our worship. Number one, we waste our worship 
when it's our language and not his. We waste our worship when it's our language and not his. Verse 1, verse 2, verse 3 gives us the actions of worship. There is no doubt that this psalm was a psalm that calls us to worship. It describes an expectation of worship. It even gives us commands to worship and shows us how to worship. But there's a phrase in here that also shows us that in our worship we may be speaking a language that God does not understand. Not because of a lack of knowledge on his part in any way, but because it's not the language of worship that he desires. Look at it. It says, sing, shout, raise, sound, blow. Those commands, those action words that he's saying, when you worship me, these are things you do. You sing, you shout, you raise, you sound, you blow. He says, sing aloud, shout for joy, raise a song, sound the tambourine, blow the trumpet. Those are words that describe activities in worship corporately. It's a loud scene. It's a noisy scene. It's a scene of instruments. It's a scene of voices. It's a, it's a, it's a scene of words being spoken and exclamations of praise. He shows the expectation of this when he says it is a statue for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph. He's speaking of this call to these feasts, to these festival celebrations of corporate worship. But then there's this phrase. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Depending on which translation of scripture you read, the punctuation is a little bit different on that phrase. And reading several translations, trying to find somebody that just maybe spoke clearly to this particular verse. It's often skipped or the admission is given. We're not real sure exactly what that phrase is referring to. Is it the voice of the worshiper or is it the voice of the one being worshipped? As I read through this psalm, I come down on the side that it is, on the, it is the, the voice of the one being worshipped. And in this atmosphere of corporate worship, of singing and shouting and sounding and raising and blowing the trumpet and fulfilling this command to worship, I believe God speaks, since I hear a language I had not known, I relieved your shoulder of the burden, your hands were freed from the basket. If it is the words of the worshiper or if it is the words of the worship, one thing we do know for sure is this. There is a lack of communication going on. Somebody's missing something. Somebody's not hearing something that's being said. Somebody's not hearing what they thought they would hear. It seems as if they've gotten the actions and the routine and the ritual and the habits of worship. But it has become something that's more for them than it is for him. You remember the book, many of you have probably read it, have it on your shelf, or at least you know the title. It's The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. I wonder if he knew 
so many years ago that he was writing a book that would wind up being a classic even today many many years later newlyweds are still told read this book five love languages and Gary Chapman writes that there are ways that we understand love and we could be telling people that we love them yet them not grasp that you really love them because you're just not speaking their language and he speaks of different languages like uh, words of affirmation or quality time or uh, physical touch or acts of service or gift giving uh, all of these different ways of communicating and some of you sitting here today and you're it's an eye opener you're thinking and I've been unloading the dishwasher for every day for 24 years and my spouse still doesn't think I love them well maybe it's because they don't speak the language of acts of service and they just want quality time it's just love languages and when I read this verse these verses here it's like God saying do you know my love language do you know what I want from you? Do you know what I desire from you? Do you know what worship? If you're coming to worship to communicate to me how much you love me and how your affections are devoted to me, are you speaking my language? When we come into worship, oftentimes we're so tempted in the flesh to say, man, I hope they sing some songs I like today. And, I, and I, I'll find out from time to time what, what's, what are the songs we're doing and here's some songs I would suggest and maybe I find that the songs I suggested didn't wind up in the set and, and, uh, and I'm, I'm looking at that and saying, well, I really was hoping because I love this song. Should not our worship begin somewhere else other than what we want in worship? Unless we're worshiping ourselves. Unless we're feeding our flesh. And I'd offer to you these prayers today when we come, if it, when it has to do with praying or preaching or what happens corporately in music or instrument or song or fellowship, that we would come into this day saying, Father, what do you want today? Father, Accomplish your plans for today. Father, what are you saying today? Father, how can I best worship you today? We waste our worship when it's our language and not his. And we allow worship to become something for us instead of something for him. Number two. We waste our worship if we forget what God has done. We waste our worship if we forget what God has done. When, when this psalm continues, and this call to worship immediately goes to what he's done for them in the past. And that's a big part of worship. It's a big part of why we come together on Sundays. It's to remind ourselves of how faithful God is. To remind us of how he's answered prayers. To remind us of the miracles that he's performed. To remind us of what he did for us in the past. And as we remember those things over and over again, it keeps us close. It strengthens our faith. It convicts us of sin. It strengthens us for tomorrow. We waste our worship if we forget what God has done. Verse 6, he's writing to the children of Israel in this song. This was a 
song they would sing. It says, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. And those verses, like so many of the Psalms do, take the people back to Egypt and their deliverance from Egypt. And they're walking through the wilderness and they're walking into the promised land. And he's reminding them what he did for them. Not what they did, but what he did for them. And in poetic, poetic form, there's this couplet there of, I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket, the burden, the basket. Those words were descriptors that would bring to their mind and heart the task and the tolls and the work and the, the, the jobs that they had as in their slavery in Egypt. And they would know from stories told to them over the years from one generation to the next that they had, their ancestors had put their shoulders to the burden. They had put their shoulders to the plow. They had put their shoulders to the stone for grinding. They knew from their past that they had carried baskets full of rocks and grain and it was just heavy labor. And God says, I relieved your shoulder of that burden. I freed you from that basket. He says, in distress you called. Those prayers, God, deliver us. He says, I did deliver you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. He's, he's talking about speaking through the storms and through the elements and his presence with them. Their call to worship and worship in the right way was speaking his language and remembering what he had done for the children of Israel. Their revelation point, their greatest revelation point of who God is in their life was Egypt. And you read through Psalms, it's over and over. You read through the Old Testament, don't you see it? It's like, here we go again, we're back in Egypt. Here we go again, we're coming out of Egypt. Here we go again, we're going into the promised land. It's just throughout the Old Testament, God's revelation point for the children of Israel, where the stones were marked of God's faithfulness was what had happened coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. For you and I, that's not real personal. Few, few in this room, if any, would consider ourselves having a, a Jewish ancestry. Uh, we, we've not heard generation of generation of generations talking about being brought out of Egypt. Where is, today, where is our revelation point of who God is and what he's done? It's not Egypt. It's Calvary. It's not Egypt. It's the cross. And for you and I, when we go back and we hear God saying, I answered you in your distress. I relieved your shoulder from the burden. I lifted the basket off of you. There is no more beautiful description of exactly what happened when Jesus took upon himself the iniquity of us all. And on the cross, he bore our sin and he paid our price in full. And he was buried and he rose again. And our revelation point is to go back again and again to the cross and say, right there, God, you are faithful. You did what I could not do. Listen, when we come together here today, so God, I hope the pastor's got something new today. Listen, you better worry about a preacher that comes with something new every week. I got some new truth. We don't need the new truth. We need the old truth. We need the good news, not the new news. We need the cross. Listen, 
we waste our worship if we forget what God has done. I'm learning over the years again and again that I'm not the CEO of this church. And I'm not the COO of this church. I'm not the CFO of this church. I am the CRO of this church. I am the chief reminding officer of this church. And my, I, I don't know if it's happening to you yet in this room, but often I sit right over here on this side at the end of that row of chairs and I can look across the stage while we're singing and again and again my eyes find itself focused right there on that cross. And I look at that cross and I'm reminded in song and I'm reminded when I'm listening and praying of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And I don't want to mess what's happening for you up in this room, but I'm telling you, here's what's happening. When I look at that cross, I come across this stage and something God's doing. I know that's the baptistry, but again and again to me, it just feels like the empty tomb right there. And I go from the cross to the empty tomb. Just remembering what Jesus Christ has done in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection. Even when we see somebody baptized right there, it's a picture of them being buried and their sins being buried. And they rise up out of that water and they walk out of that baptistry. It's a picture of them walking in newness of life. I have the privilege of standing here in the middle between the cross and the empty tomb and reminding you over and over and over again of what Jesus Christ has done. We waste our worship if we forget what God has done. Number three, we waste our worship if we fail to listen to God. We waste our worship if we fail to listen to God. Verse eight, hear. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. Oh, Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them to their stubborn hearts. I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Verse 13 again. Oh, that my people would listen to me. Every parent in the room will use that very phrase. Listen to me. Honey, listen to me. Kids, listen to me. God is saying from heaven, you're going to worship me. You're going to honor me. You're going to love me. Listen to me. We waste our worship if we fail to listen to God. There seems to be often in messages that I'm preaching to you that somewhere during the week there's been one portion of the message where God just really is working in my heart. I want to tell you, this is it. This is the point. This is the message where God is just pounding on me in these days. And that is the importance of listening to Him. I would offer to you that the missing element in our current corporate worship is listening to God. We sing, we shout, we raise a song, we sound the tambourine, we blow the trumpet. Do we hear? 
to listen. In your personal time alone with the Lord, in your quiet time, how quiet is it? Oftentimes I feel like my quiet time is just full of chatter, me talking, me singing, me making noise, me doing things. And God would say to me and say to us and say to us corporately, will you listen to me? I have something to say. We've got to make space in our corporate worship and in our private worship to listen. We've got to make space and time in our life. We, we may have to calendar it. We have to schedule it. We have to plan for it to pause and listen to say, not me talking, God. Not somebody else preaching. Just listening to your spirit. few weeks back, standing in my dad's bedroom, people were starting to come and visit with him. They stand beside him in his bed and talk to him, listen to him. I remember one particular occasion where the three people were standing around the bed and they were saying some things to dad and talking to dad and he was looking up at them and kind of smiling a little bit with one eye open and and at some point in that conversation, those three people around his bed, I'm standing back in the room a little bit, three people around his bed stopped talking to him and started talking to each other. And, and they just kept on, just, my dad's just laying there and over him, I'm watching, they're just having this long conversation right over the top of him. And I kind of lean around one of those persons and I look and I make eye contact with my dad's one eye. <laughs> and my dad lifts his hand and he goes, It was like he wanted to say, why are y'all here? You can preach right now. You know what I'm going to say. Does God look down on our worship sometime in this time? Why are y'all here? You going to listen to me? You going to let me talk? going to let me say something. The loudest singers can be the lousiest worshipers. We, we get so loud in our singing. Learn, learn the ritual of all the actions of worship and never slow down long enough to hear what God has to say. Number four, we waste our worship if we fellowship with other gods. We waste our worship if we fellowship with other gods. Now, I choose the word fellowship specifically because of what's described here that God rebukes. He says, hear, O my people, while I admonish you, verse 8. O Israel, if you would but listen to me and then hear the voice of God, verse 9. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. 
they were, they were coming, they were gathering, they were lifting their voice, lifting a shout, lifting a song, sounding the cymbal. They were going through the actions of worship. They were giving lip service. In fact, the verse there referred to earlier in verse 5 that says, I hear a language I had not known. That Hebrew word there for language is a word for lip. Lip service. But he, but he says, listen to my voice, but yet you're listening to other gods. A couple of months ago, reading through First and Second Kings in our church reading plan, you see that pattern happen over and over again in First and Second Kings of a new king, he goes away. Then a new king, and he goes away. And the, and the characteristic that's given over and over again is whether or not they worship the Lord and what they did with the idols or the Asherah poles. And you see it again and again that either they did not follow after God's ways or there would be a king that it says he followed after God's ways, but he did not what? He did not tear down the Asherah poles. He, he, he did not stop. He did not lead the people to go all in. There would be this, let's cling to this, let's hold on to that. Listen, folks. We, we waste our worship if we fellowship with other gods. God does not want to be one of your loves. God wants to be your love. When you make a marriage covenant to a person here in this world, we're pledging ourselves to another person in sickness and in health. Richer for poor, in joy and sorrow. We're pledging our lives, not saying, would you come be one of my loves? We're saying, will you be my love? Friday night when I asked the groom to place a ring on the third finger of the bride's left hand, I said, repeat these words after me. With this ring, I thee wed. With this ring, I pledge a life of faithfulness. With this ring, I pledge a life of faithfulness. And God is saying to the children of Israel, you've come to worship me. You've come to honor me. You've gathered to give me praise, listen to me, and have no fellowship with other gods. And the great temptation for us is for Yahweh God to be our Sunday God, but to not to be our Monday God. I cannot believe that it is right in our worship on Sunday for us to try to worship the one true God, but on Friday night or Saturday or vacation or in the workplace or on Monday morning to be worshiping other gods. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We waste our worship if we fellowship with other gods. Now, when we go after other gods, ahead of the one true God, it's us taking the advice of the world, it's us going after the treasures of the world as our goal, as our thinking that that's what will satisfy us. And what, what does God say in response to that? Verse 12. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. You know what God says? 
You want to go after other gods and me? Go. Just go after other gods. Just go. You're going to listen to the counsel of another god? You're going to listen to the counsel of someone other than my voice? Go. Go. Remember in Revelation 3? story of the New Testament, the story of the church in Revelation 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and what? Sup with him. Fellowship with him. Have you ever seen the painting famous painting that was done of that particular story you notice the detail that in that famous painting there's no doorknob on the outside of that door where Jesus is standing and the image there is that God is not coming to bust the door down that God stands there Jesus stands there and says open the door I'm speaking if you're going to listen to me open the door God will give you over to the counsel of others. And here's what's going to happen. No satisfaction. No satisfaction. Empty. Wasted. We waste our worship. We speak our language instead of his. We waste our worship when we fail to listen. We waste our worship when we forget to remember we waste our worship if we fellowship with other gods. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, But he, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. The promise is, is that if you will listen to God and follow his counsel, Follow his wisdom. In fact, verse 13 says that Israel would walk in my ways. He said, take wheat, and, I, and it won't be just, he's using poetry here to describe the blessing that comes. It's not just the wheat that you'll, you'll get the finest of wheat. And he said, I'll take a rock and, and I'll give you honey out of that rock. It's a picture there that's meant to say to us, there you will be satisfied. That's where it is. I hate to, I don't know that I've done this before, I hate to reduce relationship with God to a formula, but let me show, show you something. You see that? Jason, you see that? R L W equals S. I think sometimes when I preach, 
Would I be, would I be satisfied if this was the last message I ever preached? Remember. Remember what God has done. Listen to what God said. Walk in his ways. And the result of that is satisfaction. Remember what he said. Listen to what he said. Walk in his ways. And you'll be satisfied. Let's pray together. As we begin to pray, I want to ask Caleb and the team to come. Dustin. I want to ask them just to begin to play softly here and just for a little bit. Lord will lead you when to put words to it. But let's take some time right now to listen to the Lord. Maybe it would help you to, to come and find a place here across the front and and kneel just to make you a little more attentive to what God's saying. Maybe you feel just the pull of the Holy Spirit that just under His leadership you need to come and kneel here at the front and pray. Maybe it happens right there in your chairs. I invite you to just take some time right now to listen to the Lord. And when these guys start singing, I want to invite you to rise to your feet and sing a song that I believe will cement what we're trying to say today through Psalm 81. Ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to my heart right now? I'm listening. What do I need to know about worship? There's some way I'm wasting my worship. There's something, God, that I need to hear this morning. Seek him right now. If you want to talk, pray together. If you want to come here at the front, it's open. I'm here at the front as well. Let's worship him.